Hi, my name is Clint DeBoer, and I get the privilege of reading uh, the scripture to you this morning. This is God's word from Luke 2, 25 through 35. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And thank you, Clint. Well, good morning to everybody. Y'all enjoying worshiping together this morning? That's good. I'm going to take that as a yes. Didn't hear a whole lot of yeses out there, guys. You know, it's Christmas. Um, well, I'm glad you're here with us uh, again. If, if you weren't here at the beginning, my name is Stan McMahon, and I'm the pastor here at Greater Hope Church. And what a privilege to get to worship, uh, especially as a new church during the Christmas season. And, and over the first uh, several weeks uh, here in December, we've been looking at the Christmas story for the theme of our sermons, uh, looking at Luke chapters 1 and 2. Uh, Luke is one of the, the writers in the New Testament uh, that tells us the entire story of Jesus, but Luke, more than the other three writers that, that talk about the story of Jesus, focuses on his birth. He's got something really special to deliver to us about his birth, and the way he does that is he gives us four different characters that were eyewitnesses in different ways, eyewitnesses of the events surrounding Jesus' birth. And each of those eyewitnesses comes onto the scene and sings a song. These are traditionally called the songs of the nativity. And this morning we're looking at the last one uh, by this man named Simeon who was a, an eyewitness after all the, all the shepherds had come and seen Jesus and all the stuff that we've read about had happened a few weeks later. Uh, Mary and Joseph had brought Jesus into the temple to offer the, the sacrifices that God said every family needed to offer for a new baby. And Simeon, this old man who had been waiting because he believed he was going to, before he died, see the promises of God right before his very eyes. Simeon sees Jesus, takes him in his arms, and his heart, just like these other characters, just begins to explode with praise. It's amazing to see the way Simeon responds to a baby you see, I mean, he had seen many, many babies come through the temple, many, many families. We don't know if Simeon was a priest or not, but he seems like the kind of guy that hung around the temple a lot. <laughs> he saw many babies. What was it that made, that made Simeon look at this baby, this Jesus, and say, basically, it is enough, I'm ready to die? That's what Simeon says there, if you look at it in verse 29. Lord, you can let your servant depart in peace. Because my eyes have finally seen, just as you've promised, my eyes have seen the salvation that God has been preparing. Simeon's ready to die because he's seen Jesus. Now you can tell a lot about the way a person lives. You can tell a lot about what's in their heart. And you can learn a lot about how to live 
by watching people die. Now, I don't want to get too morbid right out of the gate, uh, but as a pastor, I get to do a lot of funerals and be at a lot of funerals and see a lot of people going through various stages of death and grieving. And you, you tend to get one of two big types of reactions. On one hand, there's the opposite of Simeon, where someone is just overwhelmed with terror and fear and overwhelmed with a sense of loss. What am I going to lose? What did I miss out on? What didn't I get done or didn't I say, et cetera, et cetera. And there's this, this cloud that comes over them. But then on the total opposite end of the spectrum, there's what you see from Simeon, a man who's so full of comfort. He's so full of peace and rest. He's so full of satisfaction with what he has experienced in his life that he's ready to go at any moment. Now, what does it take to get that kind of I'll call it supernatural because it goes beyond what's natural to us. That supernatural sense of rest. Well, Simeon shows us it's by coming to know that Jesus is enough. It's by coming to know that an experience of God through Jesus Christ, this baby who was born into the world to save us, through experiencing his grace and having a relationship with him, we can know he's enough for me and have our hearts filled and satisfied. Let's look at the passage this morning. If you'll see your worship folder, I've given you three things that I want us to think about, or, or rather that Simeon wants us to think about, because he's going to be uh, our teacher again this morning. And there, there are three things he points out. The first one is something about Jesus, something about Jesus that we have to, to deal with or we're never going to make sense of Christmas or never going to know how to have that kind of peace and satisfaction in our lives. The second one is something about ourselves, something that's not very flattering, but we've got to face it. And the third one is something about what life in Jesus or life with Jesus is like. So something about Jesus, something about ourselves, and something about what life in Jesus is like. Let's look first uh, about this something about Jesus. We, we said a minute ago, uh, Simeon had seen many babies come through the temple with their families. But as he looks at Jesus and as he takes Jesus in his arms, he clearly sees something beyond just the ordinary. He sees more than just another family with another baby performing another ritual because supernaturally, it says there in the, in the passage that the Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon, you're going to see the Lord's Messiah. You're going to see the Christ before you die. And here there was something about it. The Spirit had, had lined it up. I can't fully explain it, but somehow he knew to go to the temple that day and he knew when he saw that family that what he was looking at is, quote, in verse uh, 30 and 31, the salvation that God had been preparing all along. When Simeon set his eyes on that baby, he saw the culmination, the completion of everything that God had been working on throughout all of history. That's an amazing thing. And I hope it doesn't escape our notice how amazing it is that in the birth of Jesus Christ, God, literally God, has kept every single one of his promises to humanity, to me and to you. That's super comforting, I think, even for those of us here who don't have this, this supernatural guided experience that Simeon had, to literally set our eyes on Jesus physically and to hold the baby Jesus in our arms. Yet nevertheless, we too can see Jesus like he did, and we can have the comfort that comes from knowing that God never, ever goes bad on any of his promises. There's a lot of people, maybe you're here in this room today, and, and you struggle to follow God. You struggle to know whether you even want to follow God or believe. Or maybe if you want to, you struggle to know whether that's even for you, whether you can personally, because you've had all kinds of experiences with God that are disappointing. 
You've experienced maybe even anger with God or being let down, that feeling that God hasn't come through for you. Or maybe you've experienced a wound from one of the people that said they were followers of God who treated you poorly. Well, guess what? Based on what Simeon said, people like you and me who struggle to follow God, that's exactly why Jesus came into the world. If you read the Bible, if you read throughout the scriptures, you find not people who say, man, this following God thing's a breeze. <laughs> this is easy. I could do this in my sleep. No, instead, you find people who are just struggling, blood, sweat, and tears to hang on to every promise. They're feeling disappointed. They're coming to God with their anger. Read the Old Testament sometime. They're coming to God with their doubts. They're coming with their fears. And God is time and time again showing mercy to them and showing up. That's why it says there in verse uh, 25 that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel. The people of God through all time who had, who had walked with God, their name as a nation was Israel. And you know what Israel means? It does not mean find God easy. Israel means wrestles with God. <laughs> Throughout the scriptures, what you have are people who have trouble with faith. And yet here in Jesus, God is doing something. On Christmas, God is doing something to help those of us who don't get it right. To help those of us who don't know our way and often lose our way and get confused and get discouraged. He's bringing what the passage calls consolation. Consolation, of course, is encouragement. It's hope. It's, it's a, it's a pick-me-up. It's a strength that comes right into the inside of who we are and lifts us up and helps us through all the struggle of wrestling with God. And so all the, all the fears and all the doubts of all the years, as one Christmas song says, are finally met in Jesus that night as he's born. Now, how, how is it consolation that this baby that Simeon is holding has been born into the world. Well, the, the word consolation gives us a clue. Because the word there is a really important Bible word, and it means to encourage from alongside of someone. To come right beside someone, right next to them, present with them, and encourage them. It's not just encouragement from afar. Me standing back from your problem and saying, hey, I hope it goes well for you. I hope you figure that out. This kind of, of consolation is me coming right next to you, putting my arm around you and saying, I'm here. I'm here. Except it's not just me doing it. This passage is saying God himself has done it. It's his presence given to us through Jesus, which gives encouragement to all of us who struggle to follow him. I mean, think about how that would change your situation. If in your life you began to think, God is not just this God far away that I'm trying to please or trying to climb the ladder to get to because I've, I've got to measure up or be good enough or, or he's the person I'm afraid of because I'm afraid he might be against me and might strike me with a bolt of lightning or cause something bad to happen in my life. What if you saw that this God is with you? This God in Jesus Christ is for you? This God loves you? This God has nothing but the best plans to save you throughout your life. That's what the consolation of Israel is. That's what Simeon saw in Jesus. He saw that this baby was the very presence of God. Christmas 101. Amazing thing. I mean, I can't explain it to you except for to tell it to you. That God himself, the eternal God who made everything, without ceasing to be God, became a human baby. So that he could live a fully human life with us and among us to restore us to the presence of God. You and I were made for that presence. We had lost it all. He came and did it all so that we could gain it all back. 
Not just for the 33 years that he lived was he among us, but he was among us for those 33 years so that he could be with us forever by his Holy Spirit. So that he could be present with us in this room even this morning. That's the amazing thing about Christmas. Consolation. Presence with us. Encouragement. Now presence is far better than lack of presence. I mean, one of my favorite movies is Braveheart. And at the end, you know, the, the scene where they're about, the, the Scottish armies are about to battle the English. I mean, they're doomed to failure. Nobody wants to be there. If you remember the scene, they're saying, we're going to go back home. You know, we're toast. And William Wallace doesn't send a messenger. The leader doesn't send a messenger. He rides up to the front lines and he delivers the speech of consolation right there, present with them. You, you all remember it. They can take our lives, but they can never take our freedom. And everybody just up in arms, cheering and ready to go, rush into battle. And that's what God has done for us. He's not just sent us from a distance. Hey, I hope it goes well. He's here. And he's here to stay. And he's saying whatever it is that you're facing in your life, whatever the enemies are, the things that you can't overcome to get to me, I have already overcome them. And that knowledge sweetens even the darkest parts of our lives. And that knowledge that God is with me makes even the best things in my life seem like nothing in comparison. Isn't that right? If God is with me, if this is really true. Now, some, some people recognize, hey, that's what I need. I want God to be with me. The reason I'm here this morning is I want to draw near to God. But there are many others, and maybe you're here today, and you think, man, what you're talking about is being some kind of religious freak or fanatic. And I don't really want to get that close I don't really want to have that kind of experience. I want to argue with you just for just a second that you're looking for it too, even though you don't know it. That what Jesus comes to bring, the consolation of God's presence, is what everybody's looking for. What do I mean? I mean this. Everybody worships something. You can't choose out of worship. <laughs> you cannot choose out of worship. What is worship? Worship is seeking with all of your heart the presence of that thing that you think is going to satisfy you. The worship is the seeking with all of your heart of whatever that thing is, whatever that person is, that you believe is going to deeply satisfy you now and forever. Everybody worships. It's either we look to God as the one that we worship, we want his presence, or we replace God with something else. Some created thing or some achievement or, you know, accomplishment that I do. Whatever it is that we fill in the blank when we say, Lord, if I only had this. Or if I only did this, then, then you can let me depart in peace. Then, then, then I can die because I have that thing that I'm looking for that I believe is going to satisfy my life. And the question is, what is that for you? And don't you see how Jesus can fully satisfy you where those other things cannot? Because Jesus is the presence of God. Something that cannot be taken away. Something that you can never, ever lose. There's a famous story about the great jazz musician John Coltrane. Uh, after he had performed what's considered his greatest work called A Love Supreme. He was at a club, I think, up in New York City. And after he performed it, uh, the story goes, he walked off the stage quoting the first line of Simeon's song. Lord, you can let me depart in peace now. What was he saying? I've done it. <laughs> I've achieved it. I can't get any higher than that. I nailed it. And now my life might as well be over. I might as well retire while I'm on the top, right? And so often I do what John Coltrane does. Instead of seeking it in God, I seek it in stuff. I seek it in things that I might do or did or things that I might possess or gain. And this is saying that Jesus has come as light into the dark world 
Something from another world, in fact, to satisfy our hearts. One of my favorite writers says it this way, if I find in myself a hunger that nothing in this world can satisfy, if I find a hunger that nothing in this world can satisfy, then the only reasonable explanation is I must be made for another world. And that's what the Christmas story is telling us. The only way I can say, Lord, I can depart in peace is to know that God is with me and Jesus, in fact, has come to bring that. So that's the something about Jesus we have to see. The second thing, though, is we have to see something about ourselves. And this is not very flattering. Uh, In fact, I want you to notice it's kind of a weird part of the story, a little awkward. Uh, But in verses 33 to 35, after Simeon has just praised God and given this beautiful song about Jesus, he takes a very dark turn in his conversation. And I I just wonder every time I read this, what were Mary and Joseph thinking when he did this? But look at what it says. Uh, His father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them. That's happy. That's great. But then he said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul. Also, Mary so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Now, that, that's weird, isn't it? I mean, this, this old guy, I mean, how, how creeped out would you be as a parent? How troubled would you be if you heard that? But there's something really important behind it, because he's saying, look, Jesus is God with us. He's coming to bring the most important thing you and I could ever have or ever want in all the world, and yet not everybody's going to be on board with it. He's warning Mary. He's saying, Mary, even your own heart is going to be torn in two, through the experience of your son coming to his own, as the Bible says, but even his own do not receive him. Coming to his own house, coming to his own stuff, the people that he made like you and me. And even we have a tendency to say, God, nah, I'm good, hard pass. I am not, I don't want to be with you. I want life my own way. We're set against God. Jesus not only causes people to rise in faith and in hope and in love, but he causes people to fall into more and more selfishness and pride. Jesus is not only a sign that's embraced by people, but he's also a sign that is opposed. This is showing us that true faith, true faith in Jesus Christ, is not something that just comes naturally. It's not something that we just automatically have, that we can assume we have because our parents had it or grandparents, or assume that we have it because we get warm feelings at Christmas when we hear the story of Jesus. No, this is something deeper. This is me coming to put my whole life, resting it all on Jesus Christ. And if I don't do that, what I'm doing is I'm stiff-arming God. I'm keeping him at a distance, even though he's offering me the greatest thing ever to be offered to anyone in all history. I mean, imagine if someone that you knew uh, came to you and offered you tickets to that, that show or that sporting event that to you would be the dream thing to go to. It might be, you know, the last game of the World Series, the Super Bowl, the concert of your favorite musician, whatever it is. And they came and said, hey, I got two tickets. Other person bailed. Do you want to join? What would it take for you to actually be like, nah, I'm good? (laughs) I mean, if it's like the thing you've always wanted to do your whole life and yet you still said, nah, I'm good, what would that mean? That would mean you really, really, really don't want to hang out with that person. (laughs) You got some deep prejudice against that person. Uh, you mean you're offering me like a, a reunion of all the living Beatles? No, thanks. I'm good. I'm going to pass. <laughs> For real? It shows prejudice. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this. This is not a necessarily a very comfortable thought, but it's an important one. 
Do you realize how you're prejudiced against God? Do you realize how all of us are somewhat prejudiced against God? You say, now, why would that be? I'm not prejudiced against God. I'm cool with God. No. <laughs> if you're keeping Jesus at a distance, if you're stiff-arming Jesus, you are prejudiced against God. Because you're refusing the greatest offer, even though he's making it to you free of charge. Because really, at the end of the day, you don't want to be with him. Because why? Because the Bible says you have learned to see him as your rival. Because you want to be him. It's pride. We talk about it all the time. We've talked about it throughout this series. Because Christmas smashes our pride like a hammer against a clay pot. That my pride lifts myself up. It makes myself seem great. That's why Simeon says this child is going to cause the fall as well as the rising of many. The Bible all the time says it this way. When Jesus comes into the world, those who are humble, who lower themselves, they're going to be lifted up. But those who lift themselves up, those who think so highly of themselves and don't believe they need anything from God, they're the ones that are going to be brought down. They're the ones that are going to fall. You've got to go low in order to understand the sweetness of what Jesus is offering. You've got to go low and humble yourself and admit your need if you're going to come to Jesus and truly embrace him. Otherwise, you'll never hear it right. You'll never, ever hear it right. Uh, there's a scene in, in the Harry Potter books and movies, which you know, some of you may like, some of you may hate. doesn't really matter. Put that aside right now and just, just bear, bear with me here. There's a scene in the movie where Harry Potter in Goblet of Fire is given this golden egg and the person who gives it to him, you got to remember now, Harry Potter is like all magical, so bear with me. It's this golden egg that's supposed to give him a clue as to what he's, the task he's been given to do next. But he's got this thing, and he doesn't know how to read it. He doesn't know how to listen to it. As he opens it up, it makes this horrible screeching noise, like terrible noise. If you've ever seen the movie, it's worse than fingernails on the chalkboard. It's the worst noise ever. And he can't figure it out until someone comes and says, hey, the reason you can't hear it, it's a mermaid egg. It's a mermaid egg. When you open it outside of the, of the water, when you're up high, they can't sing. They just scream. They just make this screeching noise. But if you go low, if you go deep in the water and open it up, you'll hear the most beautiful song, and they'll be singing to you exactly what you're supposed to do. Harry Potter dives down, opens it up, and it's a beautiful song that tells him exactly where to go. And I thought, whatever y'all think about Harry Potter, I thought that right there shows why Jesus calls rising and falling of all of us. Either we're too good to stoop down and dive deep and say, you know what, I am, I am not worthy. I have messed it all up on my own. In which case, when we hear the, the sound of Jesus' voice, when we hear him saying, give me your life and I'll give you mine, all we hear is fingernails on the chalkboard screeching. It's repulsive even to us. But if we're willing to dive to go low, to say, God, I have messed it all up. I can't do it all on my own. Then it, the gospel becomes this beautiful song. A song that's leading us to hope. A song that's guiding us to the next place in our life. A song that's telling us, God is with you. You can know him. And it's amazing how the gospel just divides us right down the middle, doesn't it? I mean, the, the way that, that Simeon says it is you really have to be on one side or the other. Either you will hear good things and you will rise or you'll hear screeching and you will fall. There really is no middle ground. I mean, all the stuff in our culture that says, I just want to be lukewarm about Jesus. <laughs> you know, I just want a little bit of Jesus to go with my life. I don't want to go too deep in because I'm, I'm afraid of what he might ask of me. 
I'm afraid of how he might rearrange my life and change things that I don't want him to change. The Bible doesn't give any room for that. Jesus will either be crucified or he will be crowned. Wherever he goes, he will be crucified or he will be crowned. He will cause you to rise or he will cause you to fall. There's no way you can stay neutral. To stay neutral, in fact, is to crucify him, so to speak. It's to reject him out of your life. Don't take my word for it. Take Jesus' word. In Revelation chapter 3, he says, I would that you were either hot or cold. I would you would either rise or fall. Either be all for me, crown me, or crucify me. Because you're lukewarm, and since you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's Jesus saying that, not me. It's amazing, isn't it? How the gospel just just shoots a line right down the middle of humanity. And either we're going to be proud and stick to our pride, or we're going to humble ourselves. And it shoots a line right down the middle of my heart. Just like he says to Mary, a sword will pierce your heart. It lays me open, and it shows where I really am with God. Am I willing to have Jesus be everything to me? If not, it shows that I want Jesus to be nothing to me. It shows that I want to keep God at a distance. I think of him as a rival. That's the second thing. Uncomfortable, unsettling, but it's right there in the passage. We have to know something about ourselves. The third thing, though, that we have to know, and this is where, this is where Simeon gets his comfort and satisfaction, his, his willingness to die from. He tells us something about what life in Jesus is like. He sings about true faith. I want you to notice there in in his song, verses 29 to 32. uh, Lord, you're letting your servant depart in peace. He's got full peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. The one word I would choose to summarize True faith, as it's seen in Simeon, is that it has led to rest. That's the one word, rest. True faith always leads to genuine rest. I'm content with Jesus. Jesus is enough for me. The only time you're able to rest is when you finish the job. Is that right? If you still have that project sort of running in the back of your mind and you know you have more to do tomorrow, you're really not at rest. If you're traveling and you stop at a hotel room, you may be asleep, but until you get to the destination, you're not really at rest. And yet what this is saying is when someone does humble themselves and someone does embrace Jesus, they make it home. They find their destination. They get this wonderful news that the work that they need to make their lives worth something has already been done for them in Christ, and so they're able to finally lay their burdens down and rest. This makes Jesus so unique, doesn't it? Every other religious teacher you go to, every self-help book you go to, every other way of trying to organize your life always puts more burdens on, doesn't it? I go to those, those books or those people with a problem, and I leave with a second problem. My second problem is I can't do all the things they told me to do to fix my first problem, right? <laughs> it's just problem upon problem and burden upon burden. The wonderful thing about Jesus is he's in the business of taking burdens off rather than putting burdens on. And so he said to us, Matthew chapter 11, come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Simeon knew it. Jesus is enough. There are two things I want you to notice about his resting in Jesus. Just really quick. The first one is that because he knows Jesus is enough, he knows Jesus is Lord and I don't have to control my own life anymore. 
I can let go of the control of my life, which is usually the thing that keeps me distracted and hurried and anxious and anything but rested. Is that right? When I'm trying to control my life. I mean, by definition, you cannot be both the pilot of the plane and the air traffic control officer at the same time. You can't. You can't be up above with eyes in the clouds and also flying the, your own, the own plane of your life. And so we run ourselves ragged because I feel like I have to get it done. I have to figure out the way to go. I have to figure out how to make my life mean something. I have to figure out how to satisfy myself. And what Jesus offers is you don't have to control your life. And so Simeon says, look, you can let me depart in peace, key words, according to your word, God. Simeon has learned how to say, not my will, but your will be done. And when you come to Jesus, that's one of the first things he teaches you. I'm the Lord of your life. I love you so much that I gave myself for you. If I gave myself for you, don't you think I'll take care of all the little things? Don't you think that everything that happens in your life will happen because I'm directing it? I'm guiding your destiny, and I'm guiding your destiny towards the point of complete hope and complete salvation. Don't you see how you can rest in that, how you can trust God's word? That's exactly what, what Simeon's showing us. He's told his feelings where to get off. He's told the doubts and the fears and all the thoughts that stir where to get off. Because there are many times, I'm sure, throughout his long life where he could have said, you know what, I've been waiting a long time. I'm tired of waiting. You know, all those people that have waited on God and they've has never come through, maybe I should just follow their example and just quit while I'm ahead. But instead, Sam, Simeon learned how to rest in the news that God's got his back. God's going to take care of him. Now, the, the second thing that you see, Simeon says, Jesus is enough, therefore he's my Savior, and I don't have to save myself. I can trust in his grace and not in my own efforts and my own works my own record to save me say where do you see that notice what he says in verse 30 my eyes have seen your salvation not my salvation your salvation that I have prepared with my own hands is that what he says no my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of your people Simeon in a translation I'm just looking on at your work I've contributed nothing to it. My eyes are seeing it. You have done it all. You have paid it all. And that's the reason Jesus came into the world. Jesus, the baby, would grow up, live a perfect life, 33 years full of obedience because you didn't obey God. And I didn't obey God. And Jesus obeyed for us. He would die on a cross, taking God's wrath against our sin because you and I had disobeyed. As he died, he would say these words, It is finished. The work is done. Do you see how Jesus is the one who takes burdens off rather than putting burdens on? Because he comes and says not, here's a list of things to do to fix your problem. He comes with us with the good news of look at what I've already done for you. Look at how I've laid down my life. Look at how I've given it all and I've, and I've done everything that's necessary for you to be saved. Jesus didn't come into the world to promise us a paycheck if we'll do our job. The Bible says Jesus came into the world to give us an inheritance in the family because the son became like one of us so that we could become a son and a daughter of God. He brings us right into the family. Do you see, Christianity is not this. Get your life straight. Fix yourself. Be like me. Be like other people who are Christians and stop being so bad. <laughs> no, Christianity is this. None of us are right. 
All of us have lost it all with God. But Jesus did it all so that we could get it all back, so that we could gain it all on the basis of his love. That's how Simeon's at rest. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared. I'm just standing and watching and marveling. My heart is full of joy. Now what that doesn't lead to is a life of laziness, a life of passiveness. I mean, we see it with Simeon, the active waiting of Simeon on God, the the public nature of his praise to God. And you see it all throughout the lives of people who really understand grace. Their lives are active, loving God and loving their neighbor because they finally are at rest. You see, when Jesus is enough, I no longer have to live for myself. Jesus did that. He lived for me. And died for me and rose for me so that I would no longer have to live for myself, but so that I could finally be free to care about what concerns God and what concerns other people. That's what the rest does. It gets deep in us. And instead of anxiety and worry and fear and guilt and all those things that are normally at the core of who I am, suddenly there's peace, there's hope, there's rest. Uh, The story is told, speaking of where we began, how people die. The story is told of Mother Teresa, who I think we all would admit Mother Teresa was the most active lover of people probably that we've known in our generation. She spent her lives on people that could never repay her back, and they never did. Uh, She was tireless in the way she worked. we, We know the story of Mother Teresa in India. As she died, you know what they said that she said as she was passing away? Over and over again, she said this, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. She understood what Simeon understood. Very different than what we hear from the example of John Coltrane. Where it's as if he was dying saying, look what I've done, look what I've done. Look what I've done. Mother Teresa, Simeon, you and I can be this way too. Embracing Jesus, humbling ourselves. We can go through life and into even death saying, Jesus, look what you've done. I love you. I love you. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you so much for good news, Lord. In a world full of good advice, in a world full of bad news, we don't have to go very far to hear either of those kinds of messages. Oh, I'm thankful that we get to come and hear good news from you. Not what do we need to do? Ten steps to be a great person. But Lord, we get from you, here's the steps I have taken. Beginning with the birth of my son, the steps I have taken to redeem you and bring you to myself, to give you my very presence. Lord God, you are to be praised for that. You are to be praised for that. And Lord, if you would give us just one more glimpse of Jesus. One more glimpse of how much he loves us. One more sense of assurance and joy that he's with us. Oh, Lord, we feel like we would be ready to go. It would be enough. So, Father, would you please open up. Open up your word and open up our hearts so that we can see that, see him clearly. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.